Hello and welcome to the next episode of our Tilney Investment Podcast. I'm Lucinda Johnson, Investment Director from Tilney's Birmingham office, and I'm chatting with Ben Siegerscott, our Head of Multi-Asset Funds, and looking back over the first half of 2021 and what we see in store for the next six months. We are recording the podcast from our homes today on Thursday, the 1st of July. Before we begin, here is some important information. Nothing in this recording is intended to constitute advice or recommendation, and you should not take any investment decision based on its content. Any opinions expressed may be subject to change without notice. Remember that the value of investments can fall as well as rise, and that you may not get back the amount you originally invested. Past performance should not be considered a reliable indicator of future returns. Different funds carry varying levels of risk, depending on the geographical region and industry sector in which they invest. You should make yourself aware of these specific risks prior to investing. If you're unsure about the suitability of an investment, or if you need advice on your specific requirements, you should seek professional financial advice. Hi Ben, it's lovely to be joining you again. How are you? All very well, thank you. Great to be joined by you too. Shall we kick straight off um, with a bit of a rundown of what's happened in June, as we've now hit the 1st of July and, and are officially halfway through the year? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, June, June was an interesting month. Actually, very little happened in equity markets. There was a lot of expectation built in, um, particularly around the latest Fed meeting. In the event, the action largely happened outside of equity markets. Um, so overall, if you look at June, global equities eked out uh, just under 1.5% return. That was driven mostly by US equities up 2.2%, Europe up just over half percent uh, UK around a percent down and emerging markets flat. But actually on the back of the Fed meeting, some of the interest came from core sovereign bonds. Actually, we saw yields fall, which meant prices rose uh, as, as the Fed spoke. Um, 10-year gilt yields uh, down 11 basis points to 0.72. 10-year US treasuries uh, down 17 one seven basis points to one spot four four. And really those, uh, those core sovereign bonds firming up as markets came a little bit more relaxed. Uh, against that, though, gold, the often perceived as a safe haven, fell down 7% overall uh, on the month, last seen at $1,773 an ounce, whereas oil continues to gain strength up 8.5%. That's now at $75 a barrel, really at the sort of upper end of where it's been recently and seeing a lot of strength. The other response was in currency markets, and there we saw uh, the dollar surge up 3% against sterling. So quite a lot of activity, but most of it was outside of equity. That's great. And um, one of the things to, we always like to do halfway through the year is, is have a look back at, at sort of how 2021 has, has panned out so far. Do you want to give us a sort of overview of the characteristics that we've seen in, in markets to date? Yeah, absolutely. And I, th- I think it's interesting where we are now because we are at something of an inflection point. Uh, and the, the first half of the year, I mean, we always talk about half yearly performance, but I think it's slightly different this time around insofar as when I talk about each one, you can't help but talk about the reflation trade, markets getting back to back slowly towards normal and looking past uh, the, the, the pandemic. But actually, all of this started last November. So whenever we talk about the first half of the year, what most people talk about is from November. That's when we had the, the output from those successful vaccine trials, uh, November 8th or, or 9th, I think it was. And then we saw a, a really a rally from there. But really, the first half of the year, has been a continuation of that reflation trade, markets getting uh, really back 
on their feet. In terms of the numbers for the first half of the year, global equities are up 12%, really led by Europe and uh, the US. It's been emerging markets that have been the laggard, and that was that's been slightly interesting. Emerging markets had a mixed time last year. Initially, they fared pretty well uh, as the pandemic swept uh, around the world and largely focused on, uh, on developed markets. But they did get hit a little bit latterly, and certainly the first half of this year, um, particularly if you look at Latin America and now Asia, they're struggling a little bit more, and that's held them back to, to a greater or lesser extent. Emerging markets also having a slightly harder time getting the vaccinations rolled out. That sort of held them back. But globally, we have seen reflation, and that's perhaps more obvious. If you look rather than at different countries, you look at the sectors that did well versus those those that struggled. Last year, of course, it was the stay-at-home trade, particularly those uh, those sort of IT-related names that did particularly well. Uh, Amazon, uh, you know, Everyone knows that they've done particularly well. I, I can vouch for that, certainly the number of packages that I've been receiving. Netflix as well. Everyone's now seen Tiger King, I think. All of those stay-at-home names did very well last year. There's actually been a bit of a reversal this year, though. There's been those unloved names that have done particularly well. If you look at the likes of energy uh, and finance, they've done phenomenally well uh, at the start of this year. Now, that does come off a low base after getting hammered last year. But really, uh, the, the, the market's been led by energy up 26%, finance up 17%, and it's been consumer staples and consumer discretionary up 4 and 8%, respectively, that have been the laggards. You don't see quite the, the oomph in consumer staples that, that, that you during an, an economic recovery compared to a sort of stay-at-home environment. And that's equities. In terms of, uh, of fixed income, core sovereign bonds, so these are UK and US government bonds, really, those have sold off quite a lot. That makes perfect sense. You consider what happened last year when central banks cut interest rates and start injecting money in. There's a very clear desire for these perceived safe havens, given the huge uncertainty. And as the prospect of reopening has sort of come back in, we've seen quite significant sell-offs uh, in those core government bonds. Again, we talk in terms of yields. Um, yields uh, rising means prices falling. And core sovereign bonds are off around half a percent in the first half of this year. Those are yields. That doesn't sound like a lot. That does translate to, to quite significant moves uh, in terms of the prices. If you consider UK gilt, so, so borrowing for, for 10 years for the UK government, those costs for the government started just below 0.2% at the start of the year. Then in the last month or so, they headed quite rapidly towards one. Now they're still at 0.7%. That's still a lot higher than where they started the year. Same in the US. 10-year US Treasury yield started uh, a little below 1%. Now they've moved uh, past just below 1.5%, but moved past that more recently. And a lot of that movement, of course, has been in inflation expectations. So there's two components of, of government bonds. One is what people think inflation is likely to be, uh, and the other is what they think central banks are going to do with, with interest rates. And much of that movement has been on uh, on inflation. Some of it, though, has also been in terms of real yields. The expectation that central banks are going to have to start withdrawing some of this uh, monetary policy. Uh, and finishing off just with, with commodities in the first half of the year, I think it really sums up the reflation trade. Gold is off just over 6.5%. Started the year um, a little below $2,000 an ounce. It's now slipped back 6.5%. As some of those safe haven characteristics become less attractive, 
But oil has been on an absolute tear. It's up 45% for the year so far. Uh, and now, obviously, a, a very, a relatively high levels. But all of that feeds into the economy reopening, uh, the recovery and reflation trade that we've seen so far. Thanks, Ben. You touched on there, um, uh, the, the sort of weakness of, of, of sovereign bonds. Um, I wonder if you could just give us a bit of a, an, an update on, on the Federal Reserve meeting last week. Um, the, the discussion that's been that's been around that um, that's hit the press quite hard lately. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, I think we probably flagged it in uh, in the last meeting or the last podcast. But this meeting is going to be closely watched. What we know is happening is inflation, as we've talked about uh, re- repeatedly, is likely to have surged, peaked, uh, and start dropping, but probably dropping to a slightly elevated level. Certainly, that's what we saw. It was interesting last month that headline CPI inflation print in the US came in at five percent year on year, which is slightly ahead of expectation. Uh, at the top end of, of, if you look at the broader range of expectations, the median expectation was four point seven, five point oh was was sort of certainly at at the top end. A lot of that driven by disruption and reopening, and um, particularly in the US, used car sales, airfares, hotels, those areas that are reopening areas that still have some capacity constraint and also one-off spending from some of these stimulus checks all driving driving those prints higher. But what was really interesting, people were looking for this Federal Reserve meeting. The Fed has remained very relaxed in, in a lot of its rhetoric recently, talking about higher inflation and, and uh, expectations, really just reflecting a normalised environment and keeping pretty much stood. And what's interesting, this meeting in particular so every two or three months, the Fed releases its latest projections in what it thinks inflation and interest rates are likely to be. And because we had a lot of moving parts, a lot of uh, talk around inflation for the last couple of months, this has been the first chart time that they've released these these up, uh, updated forecasts. Uh, and when they did it last time, back in March, they pretty much said, look, see inflation ticking up, but not going to move interest rates. And that, I think, caused some alarm. It tied in with their idea that that they're going to let the economy warm up. And they've talked about average inflation targeting, which is code for probably let it run a little bit ahead of target to catch up for a couple of years of a very low and behind target inflation. But at this meeting, uh, the, the Fed was was much more balanced. Uh, and really, they, they were trying to offset these two competing forces, uh, encouraging a continued economic recovery and activity, whilst also allowing inflation to, to rise, but perhaps give the sense that they wouldn't let it get out of control. And that's exactly what they did. So whereas before, their forecast said basically no rate hikes through to, to 2023, now those so-called dot plots suggested that the Fed members think they'll have to start hiking rates in 2023. And now they're pricing in two, two hikes and also an expectation that maybe inflation will persist a little bit above 2% throughout that throughout the period. And I think what's really interesting, that signals the Fed is still pretty relaxed, keeping interest rates at zero and only increasing them up emergency low levels by two uh, hikes in 2023. In absolute terms, that's still very accommodative monetary policy. But what I think they're signalling there is the fact they're not blind to, to that the potential inflation is starting to pick up. And just reminding 
market participants that while they are targeting average inflation, which might allow it to run slightly hot for a while, they're not going to let it out of control and they are still quite keen to measure to, to manage that within uh, within within a range overall. I think the other thing that's really interesting at the moment, that for, for a period of a couple of weeks before the meeting, Fed members aren't allowed to say anything about monetary policy or, or their outlook. They're in a blackout period. And up until then, if you cast your mind back to the start of the year, there was one loose mentioning of tapering. That basically means ending or scaling back the purchasing program. That spooked markets back in January. And since then, all of the Fed members have towed the line, not talked about it at all. It's almost been conspicuous in how unified they've, they've they've been in, in their views. Committee members historically do express slightly different views that reflects the, the balance of opinion. They've been very quiet up until now. Following the meeting, though, we've started to hear uh, a lot more talking about tapering. Some Fed officials willing to talk about it a little bit sooner, others waiting for it further out. But it does mean that the tapering back that the QE program is uh, is back on the cards. And I think that's something we're going to be talking about a lot. It's healthy we're getting that debate, but I think that does sort of impact some of the future direction. So the central bank is really moving beyond the phase of just keep everyone calm, tell everyone you'll, you'll just keep on pumping money in. Now getting to say, just saying, okay, as things recover, we're going to have to start to be a little bit more, um, more real here. What's interesting in response to that, we've actually seen uh, U.S. Treasury yields dip a little bit, so, so prices have risen, and most of that has been on inflation expectations. So I think it's done its job. And um, if you look at the, the inflation expectations, we, we use a market-based measure uh, called the 10-year break-even. That's what markets think the average inflation will be over the next 10 years. Uh, back in May, that was at 2.6, so uh, quite a way ahead of the 2% target. Now it's dipped to around about the 2.3%. So I really think that that Fed meeting has been very interesting. They've signaled a willingness to, uh, to to keep inflation under control in a range. And I think that's ha- had the effect of helping markets to, to become a little bit more relaxed about the inflationary outlook. Thanks, Ben. Um- Sort of as an aside to that, do you see the Bank of England sort of following a similar pattern and sort of copying their their um, steer, as it were? Yeah, I, th- I think the, the the Bank of England is a little bit behind the Fed. What's interesting, if you look at the, the central banks uh, and look what happened, certainly in the first half of the year, there's a big split between the European Central Bank that actually came out and said, we think that uh, interest rate, market price interest rates are, are getting a bit too high and they wanted to keep policy, particularly accommodative. So they leaned against those increasing rates. Increasing rates is viewed as uh, basically making business slightly harder. So they leaned against those rates. The Bank of England and Fed both said they're very relaxed and thought it was a normal part of of economic activity. I think the Bank of England uh, feels it's missed a trick. The Federal Reserve has been through an entire interest rate cycle. They did manage to hike interest rates through to the back end of 20, uh, sort of 2018, um, which allowed them to cut interest rates in the crisis. The Bank of England has had its interest rates basically nailed to the floor um, for, for most, of the, most of the last decade. And were it not for Brexit, they, pro- they pretty much said they would have had interest rates slightly higher but needed to keep them low. So I think they are looking to, to probably start uh, tightening policy. That's most likely to be through, through quantitative easing sooner rather than later but they may be a little bit more relaxed. One interesting a differential between the Fed and the Bank of England 
interest rates have all sorts of impacts and the way they try and cool economic activity um, through the, the cost of borrowing and other factors. One interesting difference between the US and the UK, though, is the is on the interest uh, is the impact on mortgages. And obviously, rising interest rates generally means higher. Uh, mortgage payments. In the US, mortgages tend to be fixed for a, a much longer period. Most mortgages in the US are fixed for over 20 years. So actually, if the Fed increases interest rates, yes, it affects house price in the short term, new mortgages, but it doesn't affect the mortgage payments of, of a great of a large portion of the population. Whereas in uh, in the UK and Europe, it tells certainly in the UK, it tends to be in, in the mid to low single digits for, for how long mortgages are fixed for. So an increase in interest rates has a much more immediate effect, uh, certainly in terms of, of consumers than in the US. And I think that's reflected in the fact that 10-year interest rates in the US are just shy of one and a half percent, whereas in the UK they're still sub one percent. So I think the the Bank of England will follow. Just bear in mind that the Bank of England may be uh, a little bit slower to react than the Fed. That's great, thanks, Ben. Um, so having looked back at the, the year so far, maybe we should we should finish off by looking forward um, and seeing what what we have in store for the rest of the year. Well, I think it's as I said uh, earlier. I think we are at an inflection point that, that makes it interesting. What one can overuse that term because every month you could think you're at some sort of inflection point, something's going on. But I think we are there, and, and it really touches on, on the Federal Reserve point before. We're now facing a period where, because we have economic recovery coming through, because we have inflation picking up, I think you're seeing a changing of the messaging, both from central banks and, and governments, away from keeping the, the, the economy ticking over while we're in lockdown and dealing uh, with the COVID-19 crisis. And there are a lot of fiscal and monetary policy designed to just sort of sustain economic activity and in some places replace it when, when there were government-mandated shutdowns. Now we're shifting much more towards kick-starting recovery. So I think you'll see some of those fiscal policies shift. You may well see uh, in the UK as well as uh, in the US some of these infrastructure spending plans. Those designed to kick-start the economy. But the background to that, I think, is once we kickstart the, the, the economy, there's going to be some pressure, I think, to start scaling those back, paying back for, for some of these outpourings. That means a lot of these fiscal stimulus measures in the next few years are likely to be neutralised, maybe by some higher taxes. That's likely to focus, I think, on corporations and individuals. Maybe it's the, the, the start of a shift. If you look over the last couple of decades, uh, the, the profits in the broader economy, much more has gone to capital than to labour. I think we're maybe seeing some of that starting to get pulled back. So through the rest of the year, I think fiscal stimulus is going to go more towards kickstarting the economy. And that could mean uh, a bit of a shift, particularly we see schemes like furlough schemes, unemployment, enhanced unemployment benefits in the US, uh, business continuity loans and grants. As those start to roll over, you may see some pressure coming through. It may lead to a temporary blip in terms of unemployment and business failures as we go through a cleansing of the system. That's positive for the longer term. I still think it means equities are attractively positioned, but it may introduce a few bumps just as we go through that unpleasant but, but somewhat economically necessary uh, cleansing period. And we're also like to see monetary policy start to shift. There's no interest rate hikes, as we just discussed, forecast anytime soon. But before interest rates happen, QE uh, money printing needs to start being scaled back. I think that's going to start being talked about much more actively in the second half of the year. We may even see it starting to scale back from, from the end of, of this year or the start of next year. And because markets are forward-looking, it's very likely that 
uh, participants will react to that, to the idea of that in the future before it actually starts happening. And that's what we saw in the taper tantrum back in 2013. Markets react in response to, to ideas rather than it actually happening. So it's, I think it's that shift in fiscal response and a shift in, in monetary response that's going to be uh, particularly in focus. So I think that transition could be bumpy. As I said, I'm still positive on the longer term outlook for, for equities as we go through this ref re reflation environment. A lot of businesses have cash and have been able to borrow very cheaply. And that's likely, I think, to get deployed into capital expenditure, which allows businesses to grow in the longer term. I think there could be some bumps in the road in the very short term. So I think there's there's, there's reasons to be slightly wary uh, right now. If you look at markets, they, equity markets in particular, they have had a good run. And that's why I think they're pausing for breath at the moment. If you look in the very short term, some of the market signals, uh, elements such as put call ratios and bull bear measures, that's the proportion of people that are positive versus negative on markets they look slightly stretched. So there might be a little bit of catching up in terms of the fundamentals. The medium term, I certainly think equities are, are relatively attractive. But I think it is always important for most portfolios to take a diversified approach, having some elements in there that can buffer because the future is uncertain. It's always going to be uncertain. So having those assets that really give you uh, some negative correlation and some buffering to smooth the ride is, uh, is going to continue to be important. Thanks ever so much for your comments, Ben, and, and that's about it for today. We'll be back again soon with a new episode. If you have any feedback, questions or comments, please send us an email at podcast at tilney.co.uk. Thank you ever so much for listening. 